Hello, and welcome to Not Your Mother's Housing Market, the podcast where we dissect and discuss emerging trends in today's housing market because a 21st century market requires 21st century strategies. I'm Katie Keaton with Realty One Group Pacifica, and I am joined by... LaDonna Page, Mortgage Advisor and Liability Manager with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. Hello, episode five, everybody. And if you did not notice, we now have intro music. (laughs) Yeah. Very exciting. (laughs) We were dancing. It's getting the mood set for today's episode, Um, which today we are going to be talking about what happens when a real estate transaction falls through. But before we get into that topic, we are going to play... A little ad message from our host at the Kellett's Podcast Network. So here you go. Take control of your account and make interacting with Kellett's PUD easy with SmartHub. Through SmartHub, you'll be able to view detailed usage information, make a payment, enroll in programs, set account notifications, and much more. You'll also receive important news and information about Kellett's PUD and can quickly contact us with any issues regarding your service. You'll be able to put yourself in the driver's seat of your Kellett's PUD account. Smart management, smart life, smart hub. All right, and we are back. The Not Your Mother's Housing Market podcast on the Kellett's Podcast Network. That was a message from their sponsors. And now we can dig into the message from us. (laughs) And the message from us today is... Like I said, when deals fall apart, why they fall apart, what happens when they fall apart, and how you can prevent your real estate transaction from falling apart. So before we get into that, LaDonna, anything exciting you want to update us on in your week or life or anything? Nothing very exciting. I mean, I'm loving my loans, obviously. I'm loving my tidbits of information. She's (laughs) loving her loans. LaDonna loves loans. I'm just sitting over here loving life. So you know how, I mean, the age of social media, we all need to get better about branding ourselves. Mm -hmm. I keep telling myself I'm going to start ending all of my posts, what have you, with like, close it with Katie. Or, you know, closing with Katie. Whatever. So your little hashtag could be LaDonna loves loans. You know what? Actually, there's somebody else in my office that uses... Loves loans. Stephanie Loves Loans on Instagram. You'll find Stephanie Louine. Oh, okay. Cool, 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 cool. I don't think I'm going to steal hers. She's super creative and fun, and that's that's her bit. I'll find something else. Even though yours, like, (laughs) has alliteration, which... Right. As as Katie Keaton, I'm a big fan of Oh, you know what? Actually, I think hers is Steph Loves Mortgages. Hmm. Perfectly honest. Okay. I think that might be it. LaDonna loves loans. I'm just saying. I need a tagline. <laughs> you need a tagline. I used to work at the radio station. That was my job, creating taglines. So hit me up if you ever oh, want to work on your tagline. I will hit you up for sure. And if you, any of you out there, want to buy a house, then you can close it with Katie. Just throwing that in there really quick for my you can tagline. finance it with LaDonna. <laughs> well, we need to work on that. <laughs> Okay, but seriously, to get into today's topic, pardon me, let me clear my throat, Um, you know, deals fall apart sometimes, and I have actually been talking about this with a lot of my colleagues lately, even yesterday, we were just discussing, you know, really, I get together with a few other realtors, and we just talk about what's been going on, Mm -hmm. what's been going on with our deals, what have you. We do the same kind of thing in our mastermind groups. 
Yeah, for sure. And there definitely has kind of been an uptick in me hearing, well, this buyer backed out or this deal fell through or we're back on market, blah, blah, blah. Interesting. And then, funnily enough, sadly enough, I had a deal fall through yesterday. So I kind of just wanted to talk about why they fall through, like I said, what you can do to prevent it. And really, I just want to help people um, manage their expectations. Because like you and I were talking about before, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Um, Sometimes, because we are the professionals, people are listening to what we're saying, but maybe they're not completely absorbing it because they're like, oh, my lender has it, like she'll catch anything or, oh, my realtor knows, so I don't need to keep this information in my mind. And so sometimes the expectations get a little thrown off. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like that happens. (laughs) It happens with my own children. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I swear they don't listen half the time. And then they say something that like directly came out of my mouth and I'm like, hey, you Look at that. You do listen to me. It's by osmosis, um. though. It's not by... It's not well, because they're trying they heard to. it because they're using it verbatim, but... Well, there you go. I love that. I'm trying to think of my kids, like, the stuff they repeat for me is probably stuff that I'm like, don't repeat that, but... <laughs> there's a smidgen of that, but, you know, there's definitely... I don't know. Yeah, everybody. You can listen to something, but if you're not absorbing it, are you actually listening? I think the... The place that I am the biggest um, perpetrator of this is with um, my insurance. I am so bad. We have a friend who's an insurance agent, and we want to eventually have her on the podcast. Her name is Jennifer Penfold with Country Financial. Love you, Jennifer. Anyway, um, whenever she tries to talk to me about insurance, my eyes just straight up glaze over, and I cannot take it in. (laughs) I cannot take it in. I do not know why. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, whatever. Moral of the story is hopefully you guys can listen to this episode today, and whether you are trying to purchase a home, whether you're trying to sell a home, whether you're thinking about doing it down the road, or even if you're just interested in real estate, you can um, have a better understanding of when deals fall apart and the things you can do to keep it from happening. So that's why I decided to go to the internet and take a look and see if there's any statistics or any information that backs up what I've been feeling. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, there has. So I found an article from homego.com and they were speaking about the time period from 2016 to 2018. And during that period, um, the percentage of pending home sales that fell through jumped from 1.4% of home sales falling through to 4.3%. So it's still a pretty low percentage, you know, five-ish percent, but going from 1.4 to 4.3 is actually pretty big. You know what I mean? And then even more than that, I found another article from homelight.com that said that in May 2020, 9% of contracts were terminated. So we're going from 1.5% to 4.5%, all the way up to just shy of 10%. Oh my goodness. I know, right? Especially, I mean, if you're a home buyer, if you're a home seller, you think, okay, we have an accepted contract, the deal's done. Right. But that's far from true. That's one out of every 10 is falling through at this point. Um, I was actually talking to my mom the other day, and she's so funny because she's always asking me what's going on 
with work, but Mm -hmm. the way she presents it just is like, mom, no. (laughs) Um, Hi, mom. She (laughs) will say, so did you sell a house today? So did you, you know, whatever. And selling a house is not something that happens in one day. Rome was not built in a day and a home was not sold in a day. Neither was a loan made. My mom asked me the same thing. Did you sell any? Did you do a loan today? Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) And it's just funny. And I get where people are where that's coming from because you're like, okay, did you go under contract with a house or did someone mm-hmm. see a house and love it? Does someone want to write an offer? Those are all parts of the process, right. but you cannot quote unquote sell a house in a day. Maybe if you, no, honestly you can't. I was going to say <laughs> maybe if you're an all cash buyer, but even then you'd need to get title and escrow involved. It just does not happen like that. Um, and right now it's taking on average 50 days for a home purchase to close. Your eyes are huge. My eyes are giant because, okay, so when a year ago we had two processors, now we've got three processors, and I believe we're still looking for another one. Like, our turn times are really fast right now. Like, I our refinances are going in 30 days. Our purchases are going in 30 or less. You know, we've got some that go as fast as I think we saw one at 12 days not too long ago. It was insane. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, on my side, when I'm working with lenders, it's not uncommon for a lender to um, to ask for 45 days as an estimate for closing. And I've even had some lenders, which this is more like on the land load side of things, but they'll ask for 60 to 75 days which is mind-blowing. So, I mean, everything averages out. My eyes are like dinner plates right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, my... Katie, you're... I'm blowing your mind. Work with LaDonna. (laughs) Her processes are better. But you also have to remember, sometimes people want a longer close. Right. Like, I know where it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. That's totally a thing. But then other times, that's not appropriate. Yes. Well, regardless, my point is to say that it does take usually at least... 20, 30, and even longer days to close a loan or to close on a house. And a lot can happen during that period. So that's what we're going to be discussing today is kind of what parts of the process you're apt to have a purchase fall apart. So um, tying into this, we're going to be talking a lot about earnest money today. So I just want to go ahead and throw out what earnest money is, what it means in the, for Washington state real estate, because every state in our Wonderful country has different real estate laws. So I'm saying it's pertaining to Washington State, not Washington, D.C., not any other Washington, Washington State. Okay. Um, I have to say that because my grandma used to live outside of Washington, D.C., and I would get so annoyed because when I went to visit her, I had to say Washington State. Anywhere else in the country, you have to say I'm from Washington State because everybody goes, oh, you're from D.C.? No, I'm not. Never been there. As a child, that used to rub me the wrong way so bad. I'm like, we're a state. We're more important, even though, like, arguably the capital of the country (laughs) is probably more important but as a child I'm like we're a whole state that's cooler yep anyway just to say what we're talking about today has to do with Washington Washington State State. yes exactly so for those of you that don't know earnest money is kind of um, a quote-unquote deposit that a buyer will put down to show a seller that they're serious about the house So it's not uncommon to see 1% earnest money. So let's say you're offering on a $400,000 house. um, It would be realistic to put $4,000 down. That being said, you don't have to. I see... I see offers get accepted with as little as like $500 earnest money. Right. But we're going to go with that 1% 
number just for ease of math. <laughs> Would you say that that's what you recommend somebody put down when you talk to somebody? Oh gosh, it's so hard. We were actually having this conversation at my office before we came over here because as we'll talk about today, it's very uncommon to lose your earnest money. Right. So there are some listing agents who put a lot of stake in that earnest money. Mm -hmm. And then there are some who don't care at all because it's like, we're probably never going to see that money. So I usually recommend between 0.5 and 1%. Okay. But I think 0.5%, that's probably what I recommend most. If someone's offering $400,000 on a house, I normally would say, let's put $2,000 earnest money. Okay. But anyway. I just wanted to kind of get like a feel of where you're coming from. For sure. That and that's what you recommend. And that's what I recommend here in Cowlitz County. It's even more specific because, you know, Washington State, but Cowlitz County and King County are two very different places. They are. So we, we might have a King County realtor listening to this that is like, this lady is crazy and she cannot get any deals accepted. But right. here in Cowlitz County, I'd say probably 0.5% for earnest okay. money. Anyway, so earnest money is part of your offer and you're saying to the seller, hey, if we back out for some random reason you can keep our earnest money. And it's also saying, hey, this money's going to hurt us to lose. So now we have reasons to stay under contract We're with financially you. invested in staying mm -hmm. under contract with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's what the earnest money is. That being said, real estate contracts in Washington State are to protect the buyer. Like they are very buyer centric. Okay. So it is very uncommon for a seller to see the earnest money. There's a reason that this all ties in, but I want to go over this to begin with. So there's only a few times that a seller would see the earnest money. Okay. And that is truly only if you're outside of your contingencies. So you don't have any contingencies left. You're not, you've already done your inspection and said the inspection was fine. You've already looked at the title documents, have said the title documents are fine. You already have your financing under control. The only thing left to do is close. And at that point, maybe you decided you want to move away or you decided you love your house and you don't want to leave it. You don't want to buy the house anymore. The only time that you'll forfeit your earnest money is if you just walk away from the transaction for no reason. Okay. So in all other circumstances, there's usually a workaround for the buyer to get their earnest money back. So now that we've talked about earnest money, let's go into the times when a purchase can fall apart. And that first contingency is typically the inspection period, the inspection contingency. That's when a buyer um, typically in Washington real estate has 10 days to do an inspection on the house and they can back out for basically any reason during that time and get their earnest money back. Okay. So... I say back out for any reason. Technically, it needs to be inspection related. But honestly, you could walk into a house and say there's a scuff mark on the floor. I don't want this house anymore. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So this is when you are least protected. And that's why in this market, um, sellers are asking people to either get rid of their inspection contingency altogether, which I will say is dangerous, but it's a good way to get a house. Um, or they're asking for shortened Inspection, inspection periods. Okay. Because especially once you start doing real estate math, that 10 days turns into 15 real quick. Oh, yeah. And you're 15 days in and the deal falls apart and you have to go back on the market and you didn't even get any earnest money for being off the market for 15 days. 
That's crazy, especially in this market where things are flying off the shelves. Mm -hmm, exactly. So for Home Light, that um, article I referenced earlier, they said that in May, 17% of um, the contract terminations happened during the inspection period. So about a quarter. Um, and they classify it as moderate risk. But I would say this is the time where the risk feels higher because there's nothing the seller can do about it. Okay. You know what I mean? So, okay, let's say that the inspection happens and the buyer didn't just back out for any reason. They had legitimate concerns with the inspection. We found dry rot. Exactly. Okay. So maybe they're going to the seller and they're saying, hey, we still want to buy your house. We're not backing out, but we want you to fix the dry rot and we want you to re-roof the house and we want you to, you know, there's water underneath the house. We need that fixed. Like they come with a laundry list. A very expensive laundry list, that one is. Totally. And it happens. <laughs> I get it. So let's say someone comes and they're asking for a bunch of stuff. Well, this is a seller's market. And this really plays into why we're seeing more houses go back on the market, in my opinion. Not only are buyers backing out more, I would say because so many people are making such rush decisions mm -hmm. that maybe they get to the inspection period and they're like, oh my gosh, what was I doing? I was just throwing things at the wall and this one stuck and I changed my mind. So I think that's happening. But then on the flip side, on the seller side, most people want to sell their house as is right now. Right. They know they have the power. They don't want to fix a bunch of stuff. And some people don't even want to fix anything which is right. their prerogative. And they know that they can go back on the market and potentially get even more for their house because the house prices continue to rise. So yes, during the inspection, it can be that the buyer is backing out, but it can also be that the seller doesn't want to do the fixes necessary to make the house worth it for the buyer. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Did you just see me get attacked by my microphone? <laughs> yes. Could you also everybody hear else, it? Everybody else heard it and it's, hilarious and it's fine <laughs> oh my gosh so my microphone arm for whatever reason has a mind of its own and it's always like coming at my face <laughs> LaDonna tried to fix it the other day and I'm like don't touch it don't touch it don't terrible. touch it okay so anyway we've gone past the inspection now so that's you know 17 percent of the deals that are falling through are because of the inspection so now we will move on to the appraisal, which we talked a lot about last week, so I'm not going to go over it a bunch. But um, in typical times, um, the appraisal is actually low to moderate classification of times that you can expect a purchase to fall apart. Um, whereas 17% of the transactions that fell apart were because of the inspection, only 5% were because of low appraisals. I would say that has definitely changed. This was in 2020 of, or in May of 2020. And I would say that is absolutely almost maybe flip-flopped as right. we talked about right. last week. So that's another time because, you know, a low appraisal happens, the buyer doesn't have the money or the seller is like, okay, well, low appraisal happened. I, I've already committed myself to believing I'm going to get that really big offer price, I'm not willing to take $20,000 right. less. So we're going back on the market. So that's a time where if a buyer and seller can't come to an agreement, that would be another time that a purchase would fall apart. And then now we're getting to one of the aspects that LaDonna can definitely speak to a bit more than I can. And that is your financing. 
Yeah, your one of your real estate agents in your office today mentioned that she anecdotally believes that it is almost always due to financing. Yes. <laughs> that, that real estate deals fall apart. Her real estate deals. Her real estate yes. deals fall apart. Do you have a statistic on on that by chance on your little report you've got there? So actually in May 2020 21% of terminated contracts were because of financing. Okay, so let's think about what was going on in Absolutely. May 2020. Like, we're just at the beginning of pandemic. Mm -hmm. We've gone... People well, this, are getting fired. This is where we've realized, oh, that two-week shutdown we talked about, that's going to last a while. Yeah, <laughs> and that's exactly the caveat that they have in this article, is that um, this has definitely jumped majorly right, right. from so previous May, years. May 2020, like people were getting laid off left and right. People had mm -hmm. no idea if they were going to be working next week, let alone tomorrow. Things were getting crazy and lenders just couldn't trust things go to stay steady. Like, well, I mean, nobody right knew so. what was going to happen. But also, like, if you look at sales in May 2020, like, we're up. Like we're up like sixty seven percent year over year just in our branch mm -hmm. for our sales for May because that come from purchases. Like obviously we we're refinancing everything, but our purchases mm. are up sixty percent May twenty twenty to May twenty twenty one because we're in a like we've realized that people can work from home at this point. <laughs> Thank God. I love working from home. I do too. <laughs> I love working from home. Okay, but so yes, this last year financing has been a bigger issue in the past, but I mean it's always been something. It's always been a situation where a deal could fall apart. And most contracts in Washington have a financing contingency. So if a deal were to fall apart because of the inspection, because of the appraisal, or because of the financing, the seller would not be getting the earnest money. The buyer would be getting the earnest money back. Um, okay. But so tell us sometimes where financing can go wrong. I know you had mentioned there's kind of like a do's and don't list for when you are purchasing a home. So I would love for you to go over this, especially because... <laughs> You know, we've been talking about how things can go wrong, but we haven't been talking about how to keep them from going wrong. And this is one of them where there's a very concrete list of like, hey, you want to buy this house and not have this transaction fall apart? This is what you need to do. These are the things you need to do. So, yeah, I mean, you've heard me say it a million times over. Like, I look at myself as more of an educator than a loan officer. Like, I'll educate you all day long on this loan. And I one of the biggest things that I do is educate you on how to keep it rolling <laughs> because the the underwriters have to look at your stability and they have to look at your ability to repay. Your ability to repay is actually like written into some laws. Um, so all of that goes into don't change your job. Hello, May 2020, we were approving no one. <laughs> um, don't change your banks. You want to, both of those are stability-based, obviously. We want to see that you can remain in a relationship. <laughs> okay, so I have a question on that. Don't change your banks. So does that mean, like, let's say I've always had two bank accounts open, and typically I have my checks direct deposited into one of my bank accounts. Um, even though I still have two, should I, like, make sure I keep 
set like the direct deposits flowing to the bank I always have? Or is it something like that? Or just like don't open any new accounts? Don't do anything different. <laughs> don't do anything different. Okay. Don't do anything different. Just stay where you're at. Basically is like the entire motto of this whole platform that I like. You get a little welcome letter from me when you go under contract. Like these are the things we're not going to do in the next 30 to 45 days. Um, and so like, don't change your banks. Obviously don't change from us bank to bank of America. Don't, don't change where your direct deposits are going because I want to see that you have that stability. Um, I want to see that you're like staying on the same train of thought. Um, and then we kind of go a little bit further into it with don't finance anything else. Do not apply for anything else unless I specifically say, hey, you're going to need to get a second mortgage to cover whatever. Um, don't don't do that. <laughs> like, so, but so. don't only just don't get a second mortgage, but also don't get a credit card. Don't get a loan for a car. Don't get a loan for furniture for your new house. Um or for like appliances. Or appliances. I've heard that one come up before. Yes, appliances. Because we look at your debt to income ratio, mm-hmm. if you're up in your debt, you're throwing that ratio off. If you're up in your debt, you're <laughs> down in your ratio. That yeah. makes no sense, but I mean it kind of <laughs> makes sense. Whatever. Like, anyway, go on. <laughs> so don't like don't finance anything else. Mm-hmm. Don't apply to finance anything else. Don't pay anything late. Okay. Like it's kind of a life lesson. Don't pay anything late. But like when you're in contract to buy a house, don't pay anything late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that will throw your ability to repay. Right. Because now we're seeing that you're not always consistent in this relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, don't co-sign for anybody else. Oh, that's Ooh, a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. So your little brother just turned 18 and needs to get into a car and mom and dad said they're not going to lend to him. They're not going to give him the money. And he comes to you and says, hey, 25-year-old, you're my big sister. Will you co-sign for this? Don't do it. You don't have to say, I'm sorry, little brother. You're just going to rock that jalopy for a little bit longer. (laughs) Rock that jalopy? I wonder when the last jalopy was, like, manufactured. (laughs) Rock that jalopy. Um, That's too funny. I'm laughing internally at that one. Actually, super hard. Um, Okay, so question on that. This is a tangent, full tangent. But how does co-signing for someone affect your debt-to-income ratio? Because you are a co-signer on that. You are a signer on that loan. Mm -hmm. So it is on your debt-to-income ratio. You have to factor that in. It's It's not like 50% on yours. It's like fully in your debt-to-income ratio. So as a co-signer, you're Mm -hmm. basically saying, yes, Katie is responsible for this loan, but if Katie doesn't pay it, you can come after LaDonna to repay this. Good to know before my children turn 18. Good to know. Don't go sign for anything. (laughs) Get your own, kid. Be heartless. Only in this moment. Okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, don't make large deposits to your bank accounts. Oh, Katie just got a puzzled look on her like, face. Hmm, why? Okay. Don't make large deposits that you can't source, essentially. Like, so if, Katie, if you were getting a loan and you were borrowing 
money for your down payment from me. Mm-hmm. Or I was I was gifting that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I could give you $10,000 and you could stick it in your account. But that means that I'm then going to have to provide my bank account that shows this $10,000 withdrawal and the deposit into your account so that we can source it. Okay. So a lot of this has to do with don't launder money. <laughs> so it basically is just like we want to make sure that taxes were paid on this money. Is that kind of what it comes no, down to? it really comes down to don't launder money. Okay. Um, I don't which, honestly don't understand what laundering money is. So can we have another little we tangent? Could do a whole, no, we could do a whole podcast about like... On laundering money? On laundering money because it's huge. Um, oh. But like... I need to know where all of your pennies are coming from. Uh-huh. If you have $10,000 under your mattress, do not deposit that in your bank today well, because okay, but you just how for this do you, how, Okay, so, I mean, I do have some buyers who are like, I just save my money. Like, maybe they have a tip jar or, you know, right. whatever. Um, and they do just, like, over the years have nickel and dimed themselves into having $10,000 underneath their um, mattress. How do they use that money to buy a house? They don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't unless they've had it sitting in the bank for, like, 30 days. Okay. And that's what seasoned, quote, unquote, right. want So we want to see your seasoned money. Again, okay. like, we could have a whole podcast on don't launder money first on of all. On next week's it's, episode. <laughs> it's terrible to launder money don't do it how to launder launder money and why you shouldn't do it (laughs) anyway back off of laundering money no Um, i'm like i need to know more about laundering money so we'll we'll continue this conversation off of the podcast katie you can take your nefarious this. i'm scared i like now i have a fear for everyone in my life like are you accidentally laundering money because you don't know what that no, means no no laundering money like, all right so we'll break that down a little bit further. thank you laundering i've been trying money to get you like, to for the last five minutes <laughs> laundering money is like the drug cartels gave me 10 million dollars and now i have to make it appear like it is clean money okay 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 well that's less boring i'm not gonna accidentally take money from a drug cartel so i think i'm safe for now um okay so anyway people need to have it in their bank account for at least 30 days that's not that bad so we have to we have to do what's called source and season your money Mm -hmm. so if it can't be sourced from my account to your account, mm-hmm. then that doesn't work. If it hasn't been seasoned, if it hasn't sat in your bank for long enough for us to like know that it's legit and nobody's going to come back after it, mm-hmm. then we can't have that. Okay. Um, so your mattress money, your I sold that third car because I didn't need it, $10,000, whatever, like mm-hmm. your garage sale because you're moving – that made, I recently talked to somebody the other day that made like $4,000 on a garage sale. And I was nice. like, what did you sell? Nice. But yeah, $4,000 on a garage sale. Don't deposit that money. You're running a fireworks stand. A lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are getting ready to do that. Don't deposit that money right away. Like mm-hmm. all that cash, just hang on to that for a second because now we're under contract and we need to be able to source and season your money. And if it's not able to do that, we cannot use it. Okay. Um, so then that goes also into don't spend large amounts of money. Okay. Don't deposit large. Don't spend large. If it's out of the normal for you, Mm -hmm. don't do it. Okay. Because we want to see that you are a stable 
consistent person. You're going to be continue to be a stable, consistent partner in this relationship. Okay. <laughs> it's like one of those things where <laughs> maybe this happens with people that are buying houses. The second that someone tells you not to do it, you're like so nervous you're going <laughs> to actually do it, you know? Right. Like, like I actually start going, hmm, how much money do I have under my mattress? <laughs> <laughs> or hmm, I wonder if I should buy a new washing machine a new washing machine or a new truck to help me with the move mm-hmm. or a new whatever like but if you're going to like just don't do it okay you can't pull the money out of your checking account because we need the money in there you can't you can't finance it because that's going to throw off your debt to income ratio don't do these things period pertains to like 99 percent of our loans and then don't do these things without talking to your lender first mm-hmm. pertains to 100% of them because there is roughly 1% that can finance a car and a house at the same time without throwing their debt to income ratios all over the place, whatever. Okay. Well, so then this kind of leads me into the next place where I have seen some deals falling apart over the last six months. Um, and that is at the closing table if you need to ask for an extension. So you and I have talked about this off the podcast, but I always tell all of my buyers, one of the most important things you can do to have this transaction move along quickly is get all of the documents that your lender is asking for to them in a timely manner. Make that a huge priority because I mentioned earlier that most of Washington real estate forms um, cater to the buyer So, you know, the buyer is basically the one that has to eventually pull the trigger if they want to pull out at the inspection. Um, The buyer and seller both have to come to like a mutual understanding about the appraiser uh, appraisal, but it really has to be the buyer that backs out, even if they're forced to back Mm -hmm. out by the seller. Um, In financing, it's up to the buyer to get their financing together. But the one place where the seller, all of a sudden the tides turn and it is up to the seller about whether or not the transaction moves forward is if the buyer needs an extension on closing. So let's say that you're supposed to close on, I'm making up numbers, but Friday, May 30th. Okay. And you need a three-day extension from your lender because you didn't get your lender one document. Or I saw recently we needed an extension because something crazy happened with um, with the home insurance. And it was just like an absolute fluke thing. It wasn't a big deal. The people were could easily get home insurance. It was just something happened with the home insurance and we needed a two-day extension. All of a sudden, the moment that you have to ask for an extension on the closing date that you agreed to in your contract, the seller can pull out. Just full stop, say, no, we're not moving on with the transaction. Again, the seller will not get their earnest money back (laughs) because it was not the buyer's fault that the transaction fell apart. But the seller can pull out of the transaction. And in normal circumstances, that is almost unheard of. Like everyone can handle a one or two, three delay, you know. Um, But in this market, buyers know that they can go back on the market and maybe get $20,000 more. Sorry. Sellers can go back on the market and maybe get $20,000 more than you offered 50 days ago. Right. Because of appreciation. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So um, that is another place where it's like, if you are a buyer and you want to keep this deal together, make sure you are getting 
your lender the documents that they need. Yeah, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Like, and and I tell people all the time, like going through this process, I'm going to ask you all the questions. Yeah, we are going to have an extremely intimate relationship by the end of this because <laughs> I'm going to know everything that you do financially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and it's random stuff too. I have buyers that are like, why do they need to know this? And it's like the underwriter asked for it. Just do it. Just yeah. do it. If you want this house, just tell the underwriter everything about yourself. <laughs> yeah. If you, you know, if you come in and you apply for a loan on the 28th, I need 30 days of bank statements. But because we're going to go into the next 30 days, mm-hmm. I need those bank statements also. Like, mm-hmm. we need to keep updated documents. So that does require you to come back with more documents as we go through the process. So mm-hmm. just keep hitting that download PDF button. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because we're, we're going to need it all. Yes. So, yeah, I think we kind of have gone over most of the things that can make a deal fall apart. So Mm -hmm. on the buyer side, um, really the only time that a seller can just full stop pull out of a transaction is if you can't close on time. Like mm-hmm. that should be your biggest concern if you're a buyer and you, you can h- control that by getting stuff to your lender. Um, the only other thing that the buyer has to worry about is the seller may force them out of the transaction by not agreeing to anything that needs fixed on the house or by not agreeing to lower the price if there's a low appraisal. But at the end of the day, it's almost always the buyer that has the power to pull out of the transaction or to stay in the transaction. If you're a seller, um, you do have less power, like I said. So the things that are most important on the seller side is just make sure, um, be aware that the buyer can back out during the inspection period. So everyone does a great job of cleaning their house, you know, when they know there's going to be a bunch of showings. But just um, keep in mind that every time that that buyer comes into your house, you want it to be welcoming. You want them to be excited about their purchase. So make sure your house you're selling looks just as good on inspection day and appraisal day and all those other times that the buyer's going to be back in the house. Make sure that they're excited about it and that it looks as great as it did when they first saw it when they came for a showing um and then of course because it is a seller's market if you have a bunch of offers take the one with the fewest contingencies if you're going to protect yourself you know maybe someone um two offers are exactly the same but one person didn't do an inspection contingency or if somebody has cash obviously that's better because they won't have an appraisal contingency they won't have a financing contingency so um if you're a seller the biggest thing is take take the offer with the fewest contingencies so yeah that's how deals fall apart but the good news is that even now in this crazy market only one out of ten is falling apart your chances of having a transaction go from day one all the way to the finish line are really high 90% or 91%. Like those are great odds. Yeah. But we wanted to talk about um, what happens the other 9% of the time. And I think we did that appropriately. All right. Would you agree? I'd agree. And next week (laughs) we'll be having a lesson on laundering money. (laughs) This is going to get flagged. This is going to get sent to the FBI. We're both going to lose our licenses. We're not actually laundering money. I want to make that very clear. Like, so crystal clear. No, Do you have anything else you want to add, LaDonna? No, I think we pretty much hit what we came in to talk about today. Okay, well, look at us go. Episode five, in the bag. Episode six, 
We'll see you next week.